At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelt. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Linnea has the day off. Today is Sunday, February 5th, 2023. We do not do our regular war coverage on Sundays. If you are, I need my war coverage fix. You can always become a patron. It is just $5 a month. You can find us on patreon.com at The Malcontent. Today, we're going to cover four topics. Number one is surprise. Russia's large-scale offensive has already started. Second, Solodar Bakhmut update. And the third is the Luwansk update. And then finally, why is Vuladar so important to Russia? Number one. Our lead topic for Sunday, February 5th, is surprise. Russia's large-scale offensive has already started. We hinted in the February 3rd situation report that we were leaning this way. And on February 4th, we announced, yes, we believe that the large-scale offensive has started. ISW made a similar conclusion on the same day, and the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense is saying the large-scale offensive has started. How did we reach this conclusion? Let's go back to the start of January. Private military company Wagner Group has broken its back, capturing Solidar. Regular mercenary units are now doing the frontline fighting. This isn't how Wagner has been operating since July and August. They've used penal units as what Ukrainians call meat waves, and then they are sending in the stronger troops behind them for the glory of securing an area. The Russian First Army Corps, which is former Donetsk People's Republic, and the Second Army Corps, which is former Luhansk People's Republic, are being used in what Ukraine calls meat waves now. Russian mill blogger Murs was complaining about this in a recent Telegram post. Regular Russian troops, VDV, naval infantry, are now fighting in some areas and leading the fighting in the Solodar and Bakhmuk operational areas. This has come at a great cost on other fronts. If we go back in May of 2022, when the Donetsk People's Republic First Army Corps was setting conditions to encircle Avdivka, which is west of Donetsk, the Russian Ministry of Defense put an end to it. They transferred the armor, the artillery, and the troops to Severodonetsk and Herzog-Zolote operational areas. In late July, the Donetsk People's Republic restarted those operations. The first Russian claims of capturing Pisky came on August 6th and Marinka on August 21st, and neither were true. Pisky was captured in mid-October-ish, 
And Russian forces have had a tenuous hold on the village and haven't been able to hold territory moving west of the E-50 highway. Yeah, they cross into Bervomyske, but they get repeatedly pushed back. Marinka has been bombed flat, but a video today shows that Ukrainian troops are still in the center of the city. Over the last four or five days, all offensive operations west of Donetsk have stopped again. New York, Avdivka, Marinka, even Vuladar operational areas. There's positional fighting. There's DRG units doing reconnaissance. There's platoon-sized armor groups from the Donetsk People's Republic who are getting wrecked in open fields. There is very little artillery going on. The military resources that were fighting here have been pulled from this area up into Solodar and Bakhmut. And the situation in Marenka for Ukraine was not good. Moving these resources up to Solodar and Bakhmut has stopped this fight. And this is exactly what happened in May. And Ukrainian forces are going to get a chance to reconstitute and reestablish their positions. The 1st Army Corps is now spread from Kremina to Mayorsk. Russia wouldn't halt other offensives in the Donetsk Oblast to concentrate almost all available combat power in Solodar and Bakhmut if they had deep resources. They would be pushing on all fronts. In the Kremina operational area, more Russian VDV and naval infantry units are continuing to be brought in. How do we know that the big offensive that's coming has started in this operational area? We're seeing the same tactics applied in Solodar and Bakhmut are being applied around Kremina. They're right out of the playbook of Field Marshal Zhukov. Step one, fire a lot of artillery. Step two, send light infantry comprised of Central or Eastern District Mobics or penal units or Luwant's People's Republic or Donetsk People's Republic units forward. Step three, did they die? If yes, go back to step one. If no, send infantry fighting vehicles supported by a tank or two forward with dismounts. Did they die? If yes, go back to step one. If no, glorious victory. Report we have captured the critical defensive positions of Ukraine to the Kremlin. More times than not, though, pictures of the critical defensive pictures captured reveals it's little more than a hole in the ground by some trees. And then go back to step one and repeat. People were expecting shock and awe. A shock fist, as the Russians would say, that would look like the February 24 wide-scale invasion or what Ukraine accomplished in Kharkiv, or to a lesser extent, west of the Dnipro. But Russia doesn't hold the deep artillery advantage it had in June when it was firing up to 40,000 rounds a day on Severodonetsk. Yet, Russian tactics are still ultimately reliant on artillery reducing an area to indefensible rubble, just like we saw in Solodar. But when you're fighting in forested areas, that isn't possible, like we saw in Izum. Could the growing Russian reserve in the Crimea operational area be used for larger-scale operations? Definitely. But for right now, that isn't the case.
What about the 30,000 Russian Mobics that just arrived in the Mariupol area and up to 20,000 that are south of Vuladar? They could be a defensive reserve. They could be deployed as territorial guard to control a rapidly expanding insurgency that is happening in the Mariupol area. They could be used to try and capture Vuladar again. For right now, there are no signs that those troops are being formed into offensive strike groups. We believe that the large-scale offensive started last week. Number two. Next up, we're going to cover what is going on around Solodar Bakhmut and what we believe is up ahead. The addition of the 1st and 2nd Army Corps for meat waves and Russian VDV and Marines shifted a culmination point that occurred before Christmas into a new offensive. And the fall of Solodar in mid-January complicates things for the defense of Bakhmut and Siversk. Russia's advance north towards Fedovrivka is moving into unfavorable terrain. Ukraine holds a lot of high ground in that area, has a lot of artillery assets in that area. Siversk in the northeast Donetsk region could be threatened. If a Russian advance continues north along the T-513 highway, G-Lock ground line of communications or supply line, that could force a Ukrainian withdrawal from parts of northeast Donetsk. Siversk is safe right now, unless the Russian offensive out of Kremina pushes all the way back to Limon. Then Siversk has big problems. Ukrainian forces are holding Krasnohora. If we go further south of Solodar, our analysts concluded that the pictures taken from inside an unknown building claiming to be a factory in Krasnohora cannot be geolocated. That was in our situation report for the 4th. Uh, that is available on Patreon. Krasnohora is very critical. It is a key defensive point that Ukraine must hold to protect the northern side of Bakhmut. Let's talk about what's happening in the Bakhmut operational area. Paraskovivika is also a critical defensive point. Ukrainian forces are holding, but they're under major pressure. Now, the Ukrainian 241st and 93rd have been rotated into the area between Solodar and Bakhmut. Our team, we have a nickname for the 93rd. We call them the gods of war. Everywhere they go, bad things happen to Russian troops. They are the 101st Airborne of the Ukrainian military. In Bakhmut, Russian forces are making incremental gains in the northern part of the city. They are starting to enter the residential areas. Reports that PMC Wagner controls the northern part of the city, that's untrue. Fighting in the area of the meatpacking plant and the champagne factory is continuing. In the southeast corner of Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian forces are trading defensive positions. For each city block that we see Russia takes, Ukraine is taking a city block back somewhere else. If you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, well, this sounds like a pretty positive assessment, it is not. Ukrainian forces are under tremendous pressure to hold Bakhmut. Let's go further south, Kalishchivka. PMC Wagner and Russian forces are within two to two and a half kilometers of the T-504 highway. 
PMC Wagner posted 48 hours ago that they do not have fire control over the highway. It's not a safe route, though. Multiple journalists are still moving in and out of the city, and that tells us that the ground lines of communication are still open. Severing the T-504 highway would dramatically complicate Ukrainians' defense. Now, further south, Russian forces are held at the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal. They really haven't been able to make any progress in that area. The situation for Ukraine is very difficult. President Zelensky has vowed to fight for every street, which goes back to the first point in today's podcast. Is Russia repeating the same mistakes it made in Severodonetsk and Lyschansk? Yes, they captured those two cities. They reached the administrative border of the Luhansk Oblast, and they became combat destroyed in the process. So that's the question. Is the Russian military breaking its back again? in its attempts to capture Solodar and Bakhmut? And will it not be able to capitalize on the operational success of potentially capturing Bakhmut and then turn that into a tactical or strategic victory? And in our assessment, the answer to that is we certainly wouldn't bet against it being the final outcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Number three. We're halfway through the podcast. Let's talk about what is going on in Luansk. Fighting along Luan's axis is closer to the fighting that we saw around Izum. You don't have company and battalion-sized units fighting each other in forests. Battles are at a squad and a platoon level in the Suavtovo operational area. This region is quieter. We're seeing DRG, probing attacks, recon in force, artillery, rockets, drone strikes. Both combatants are doing this. A little bit of armor. Squad and platoon-sized engagements, but there's very little movement to the line of conflict in this area. It's moving 500 meters one direction or the other, depending on what day it is, and sometimes even down to the time of day. What about Kremina? We have great intelligence on the situation east of Yamplovika. The claim from the Russian 144th that they are two, two and a half kilometers away from Yamplovika that they made early in the week, that's not true. We geolocated Russian tanks firing on Ukrainian positions six kilometers east of Yamplovika. The tanks weren't six kilometers away. The Ukrainian positions were. On Saturday, the 144th claimed they surprised a forward operating position of Ukraine. They killed personnel, caught many trophies, and captured a strategically important location. Um, Many trophies means they captured a lot of equipment. Now, this sounds terrible for Ukraine, doesn't it? Unfortunately for the Russian propagandists that were sharing that information, another Russian account published pictures of the results of this super secret devastating attack, which resulted in one Ukrainian soldier killed, less than 10 single-use anti-tank weapons and a grenade launcher captured, 
and a small trench in the tree line with kilometers of open fields in front of it, the strategic position that they captured. You can't see me doing the air quotes. Russian misinformation and disinformation has dramatically increased since the middle of January, and it is really clouding the information space and causing, quite frankly, a lot of undue panic by people who are supportive of Ukraine. Let's talk about what's going on west, northwest, and south of Kremina. There's heavy fighting that is happening in this area, as well as around Dobrova and in the forest to the south. But these are squad and platoon-sized units, a lot of artillery support, some armor, some infantry fighting vehicles. Russian forces are making incremental gains, but there have been no breakthroughs of Ukrainian defenses. Russian strategy is more conservative here. The Russian 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic has been combat destroyed since June. They've really struggled to reconstitute the 2nd Army Corps. You don't hear about them very much anymore. And the Kremlin doesn't like using their regular forces for these quote-unquote meat waves because it's harder then for the Kremlin to bury, obfuscate, or hide the military losses. So units like the 76th Airborne of Russia are slugging it out in the forest. Now, both sides have saturated this area with landmines. Both sides are using artillery. Both sides are doing a lot of supply interdiction. If you're feeling glum about the situation in Crimea, because you were expecting the Ukrainian flag to be flying over it by the end of 2022. Let me remind you of something. The Ukrainian counteroffensive in western Kherson, west of the Dnipro, started in late June. It stalled out. Russian forces slowly took back a lot of the ground they lost west of the city of Kherson in July, back by the middle of September. Ukraine suffered some significant losses, particularly west of Kherson during that period. It wasn't looking very good. Ukraine launched a second counteroffensive in October, and Russia started a mass withdrawal across the Dnipro on November 7th, which was completed on November 10th. It is unlikely we will see an offensive operation like we saw in Kharkiv, which I think is what everybody is expecting by either combatant. We're not going to see this from Ukraine or Russia. And it is outright unrealistic to expect any military to win every battle when they are engaged in total war. And Russia and Ukraine right now are locked in total war. Number four. Why is Vuladar so important to Russia? Let's start with the Russian offensive to capture Vuladar. That offensive culminated on February 1st, and there's very little fighting now. Vuladar is a five-square-kilometer speck on the map. It exists only because there is a very rich coal mine just south of the town center. The city or town is comprised of Soviet-era-designed concrete bunker-grade apartment towers to house the mine workers. It has, from a skyline standpoint, a futuristic semi-city-of-dystopia look. It's surrounded by terrain that is as flat and open as a pancake. A lot of people here, coal mine, think mountains in their heads, 
This isn't the case here. Ukraine has built up defenses in this area for nine years. The Russian assault on Vuladar was a disaster. Uh, that's not bias. That's reality. I'm not providing assessment here. I'm providing fact. Russian forces did have success on January 27. They reached the south edge of the city. They couldn't hold those positions. They were shredded because the assault groups that Russia was pushing forward were moving through wide open terrain. They did not have enough artillery support. Not only did Ukraine have enough artillery support, but from those tall buildings, they're able to see for miles around or kilometers for our larger international audience. And they don't need drones or other technical equipment to direct artillery. They, they just need a set of binoculars. After Russian military leaders wasted most of their armor support on January 27th, they continued attacks with waves of light infantry. Now, we learned some things. We learned that Ukraine has deep reserves, and they were pulled up within a day, and they pushed back the Russian forces. Additionally, we got confirmation of a position that we have held since October, which is Russian forces never physically controlled the northern part of Pavlika. And that's another thing we learned. By January 31st, the Russian 155th Naval Infantry was combat destroyed for the second time in three months. The second reason this offensive failed is two groups of Russian reserve forces that were intended to support this assault were hit by HIMARS in two separate attacks, one on January 28th, one on January 29th. The third reason, Russian military intelligence failed again. Had it been functional, military planners would have known that Ukraine held deep reserves and they would have planned for that. With almost all remaining combat effective units now at Solodar, Bakhmut, or Crimea, the assaults just couldn't continue. Now, that's what happened over the last two weeks. Why has Russia thrown so many military resources at this speck on the map? And why is Ukraine so fiercely defending it? When Russian forces captured Mariupol in early May, they established the land bridge to Crimea. But Russian military logistics rely on railroads, not trucks. The areas they captured don't have extensive rail lines between Russia, that's the OG original Russia pre-2014, and southern Donetsk along the Azov Sea. The critical rail line is, yeah, you guessed it, it's near Vuladar. You're not going to move large amounts of mined coal by truck. In some places, the railroad line that Russia wants is less than 300 meters from the current line of conflict. They can't use that line for pretty obvious reasons, I think. With the Kerch Strait Railroad Bridge likely out through the summer of 2023, that's a problem. And that's why Vuladar is so important to Russia. They just don't need Vuladar. They need to push Ukrainian forces at least 10 to 15 kilometers to the north so that they can start to be able to use those train tracks. As for what's next, Ukrainian and Russian military leaders are both saying that both sides are moving in troops and equipment to attack each other, and only time will tell.
Before I end the podcast for today, I need you to stick around for a couple of minutes because I want to talk a little bit about the team. Malcontent News is staffed by an amazing group of people who are almost all volunteers. We can't exist without your support. We are a listener and reader supported organization. Now, full stop. If you're already a patron, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts. And the second thing is, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to myself, look, I would really like to support you, but if I have $5, I'm giving that $5 to a charity or Ukrainian organization. That's the absolute right thing to do. So I'm going to let everybody in on on a little secret. Linnea doesn't get paid for her work. Nobody on this team is getting paid for their work. And the really sad thing is we're all addicts. We have these addictions to food, clothing, shelter. It took us only five and a half months to get over a million downloads. The Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast is listened to in 196 countries. Our mind is blown when we see these stats. We would love to start paying people, particularly Linnea, but we can't do that without more support. So my appeal is, please, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please consider becoming a patron. And as always, like to end these podcasts. There is so much ugh, awful in the world. Please be good to each other. I'm the Malcontent. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.